This episode of the 10A Podcast is sponsored by TOC Public Relations, the only PR, marketing, and strategic communication firm that specializes in working with public safety agencies, associations, and businesses. TOCPR is also the parent company of Law Enforcement Social, which provides social media, PIO, and content creation training for all public safety. Be sure to check them out at TOCPublicRelations.com and LawEnforcement.Social. This week's episode of the 10A Podcast is dedicated to Sergeant Richard Lopez. End of watch, June 28th, 2022. The views and opinions expressed on the 10-8 podcast are those of the authors and guests individually. They do not necessarily reflect an official policy or position. The 10-8 podcast is for entertainment purposes only and is not affiliated with any entity, agency, or department. This week on the 10-8 podcast, Overcoming the Devil Within, with Jamil Syed. It's a feeling that is very hard to describe. I was a full-blown alcoholic. Cops don't ever want to get categorized as you know, addicts. The situation and the circumstances that were going on in my life amplified that. Nothing was working because I couldn't get honest with myself. Your mind is always, is always designed to convince you that how it's going to be different this time. I hit my head on the concrete and knocked myself out. My heart is failing because my blood alcohol level is so high. My family was just like, you know, we can't do this with him anymore. Like, just, you know, let us know if he makes it or he doesn't. What's going on, everybody? It's your boy, 10-8. So happy to bring you today's episode. It's a topic that's uh, very important to me. It's actually a topic that I've wanted to bring on for pretty much the whole run of the show. Uh, so I, I'm really glad that you guys are here to t- check it out. And I'm really glad that I had the opportunity to meet and chat with my guest, Jamil Syed. Now listen, I want to say something really quick, and then we're going to drop it. We're not going to say it again. At the beginning of the interview, I'm going to introduce him, and I'm going to call him Jamil Saeed, because that's what he told me that's how it's pronounced. And then, when he goes and introduces himself, my man switched up the pronunciation on me, so I don't know. I'm just saying it happened. Anyway, I'm so excited to bring this conversation to you guys today. It's a very important conversation. Like I said, it's a topic that I've been trying to get someone to talk to me about, uh... Pretty much the whole run of the show, I've wanted to do this. Uh, last year, when we did the episodes with Project 109, uh, we had um, Line of Duty Death episode, we had the Relationship episode, and one of the topics was addiction, and primarily alcohol addiction. And so that's what this episode is going to be about today. It's going to be about overcoming that. And alcohol is so dangerous in our lives. And and that goes for everybody, you know, the, the general American public, but law enforcement more because the general American public can smoke weed. They can do all these other things. They can abuse other substances. The only one that cops really have access to is alcohol. And, you know, we talk about it all the time about all the different stressors that we deal with. So the only thing that, you know, we talk about negative coping mechanisms, uh, 
one of the easiest ones to get our hands on. The safe, well, not safest, but the the legal one, you know, and really affects us one on one is alcohol. Now, obviously, alcohol addiction and things that go with it affect other people as well. But you know, if you engage in gambling promiscuity, things like that. That affects other people directly, almost immediately. Whereas alcohol abuse kind of affects people kind of mid-range, intermittently. Like, you know, if, if, if I come home from work and I have a drink in the dark, right? One drink. That's not really going to bother anybody. Um, the problem is, is that snowball is so easy to spin out of control. And... I've known, and we're going to talk about it in the episode, but I've known people who have spiraled all the way out of control. I've known people, I know people who I know they've got a drinking problem. You know, when we go out, um, it goes too far every time. It's actually kind of gotten to the point where when I hook up with my buddies from my old agency, I don't even like going out to the bar anymore because somehow there's always some level of drama. Either, you know, you got to take someone's keys away, there's a fight, something. And and this is this is a story that can go to any agency, any municipality, jurisdiction, whatever. Unfortunately, that's kind of just the the way alcohol can get, you know, and especially when emotions are high, especially when you're drinking to suppress those emotions, you know, you think of a spring I use this analogy in one episode, but you take a spring and you start pushing it down, pushing it down, pushing it down, and eventually it's going to spring up and it's going to smack you in the face. And I think that's what we do when we have alcohol. And then you, you know, obviously we're talking about, you know, you got to take people's keys away or fights or whatever, but it goes beyond that. You know, you, you see people at the bar and they're chatting with people that they probably shouldn't. And, um, I talked about this with, uh, Aaron Lohman, huge fat loser, you know, it, it takes a very big person to call that person out on their behavior. Uh, another great idea is just to avoid it altogether. Uh, when I had James Corbett on, he was talking about Project Refit and the mobile base and how uh, no alcohol is provided there. And it's just going to provide a, a space to go out, do things with no alcohol and families involved and things like that. And I think that's so important. I think we use alcohol too much as a crutch. I'm, you know, out of the respect of of Jamil, I think, and I think he, he agrees with me, you can drink alcohol and not, it not be a problem. The problem is that it becomes a problem, and it becomes a problem very quickly. You know, start thinking of all the different negative things, negative uh, factors that can come from drinking alcohol, you know? Uh, I'm not even talking physical, but, you know, you get drunk, you can get into fights. Like I said, promiscuity, crashes, DUIs, arrested. You can get into fights, um, you know, uh, domestic violence rates, things like that, all stemming from alcohol to the very end of the spectrum being suicide. You know, I I also talk about in in the episode that, you know, the people that I've known that have taken their own life, there's been a bottle of something with them. And, um... It's terrible. You know, we don't need to put ourselves in those situations. I've been in pretty dire straits in the past, and uh, I went to alcohol to numb the pain. So that being said, that's what we're going to talk about today with my my friend Jamil. 
Uh, I want to give a big shout out to Tamron from TOC Public Relations. She hooked us up. She hooked up this conversation. Uh, Jamil works with her. And, uh, you know, so I, I owe her a debt of gratitude. Everybody go check out TOC Public Relations or LEO Social um, or Law Enforcement Social, excuse me. It's, uh, they're one of our sponsors, but it's truly something that I, I support their mission very much so. And the interview today is sponsored by Fit Dot Responders. Uh, it's gonna that's a law enforcement first responder owned company dedicated to providing first responders with nutrition and health and um, physical training that's needed to make themselves the optimal uh, public servant. You know, it, it's terrible that. So many cops and first responders. I'm going to say cops. You know, it's for first responders as, as a whole, but I only know the numbers for cops. Uh, so many cops die of obesity. They're diagnosed with obesity. They die of obesity-related uh, illnesses. And, you know, it it's bad, man. Like, And it's so, it's so avoidable. It's so avoidable. And is it tough? Yeah, marginally. I'll, I'll give you that. It's tough. It's tough to stay on like a meal prep routine and an exercise routine and stuff. But you know what? I go back to the, the quote by Sean Whalen. You invest what you value. So you need to put stock. Or you need to buy into the stock that is you. You know, uh, I've been reading or listening to uh, The 12 Rules uh, for Life by Jordan Peterson. And one of the rules is, you know, Treat yourself like someone you're in charge of taking care of. You know, if, uh, this is a, I can't remember who said it, but someone, someone smart and important said, you know, if your dog was sick, or no, not you're sick, if your dog was overweight, and you went to the vet, and the, the vet said, hey, your dog's overweight, um, you wouldn't starve your dog. You wouldn't give it detox teas or pills or whatever. You'd feed it less. And you'd walk it more. That's really all we need to do, guys. Well, luckily, to make it a little easier, we got Fit Responders. So go check out Fit Responders. They're a sponsor of the show. Great people. And uh, I'm thankful for their sponsorship as well. But that being said, guys, we're going to go talk to my buddy Jamil, who's going to talk to you about maybe putting down the bottle and why it works for him and why it saved his life. Ladies and gentlemen, check out my interview, Jamil Syed, on the 10-8 podcast. I can tell who's on the way out. 25 shows, check the payout. I ain't going home, I'ma stay out. Motherfuckers hate you when they looking for a way out. I just sit back and let it play out. Yeah, she gon' let me hit it any day now. What you gonna say now? I'm my ex-girl, got a bait now. But she still let me stay now. I got a Dallas and an H-Town boo. Got a baddie out Cape Town too. Whole gang eating steakhouse food. Get the check, I ain't checking what it came out to. I tell promoters I don't talk about the money, you know who they hand the envelope to Big John got the cash and he been the go-to Heard the beat, told Nicky put it in the Pro Tools Got a fountain on the chain and it's indigo blue Might fuck around and get a gold tooth I'm a restaurant girl, I never been a Whole Foods She gon' listen to the song, say this shit a whole move I'm in the mountains out west on the tour bus texting a chick I used to mess with Got her in the bed doing video shoots Tried to send one to me but it didn't go through Damn, she gon' let me hit it any day now Gonna say no, I'm my ex girl got a bait now, but she still let me stay no. I can 
Alright, we're back and I am very excited for my guest today. Uh, we have Jamil Saeed and he is a former law enforcement officer also. We have that bond and I'm super excited to have this conversation. Uh, the topics mean a lot to me. I hold them near and dear to my heart. Uh, so ladies and gentlemen, welcome Jamil. Jamil, thank you so much for your time today. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I'm extremely grateful to be here. Absolutely. Um, so before we get too far ahead, I, this is usually my biggest problem is I'll, I'll dive, I'll skip ahead. So let's go ahead, have you um, introduce yourself, tell us who you are, where you're from, what you do, and then we'll kind of go from there. All right. Yeah. My, like you like you mentioned, my name is Jamil Syed. Um, I'm, I, I'm on the West Coast. I'm in, uh, I'm from Corona, California. A um, little bit of background about me is, um, you know, I I have a law enforcement background, like you mentioned. Um, I became a cop very young at 21 years old. Um, I worked for the state of California. I worked the, the jails and prison system predominantly for, for about eight and a half years. Um, pretty much, you know, did did every every job you can think of in, in that scope and in the institutions. Everything from, you know, a yard gunner to a to a floor cop to a yard cop, you, you name it. Right. And, um, that was, you know, a, a great experience and, you know, it taught me a lot of life lessons and, you know, a lot about the world and, and everything. And, you know, I, I love the career and I love the people that I work with. And I'm sure like, you know, um, you know, the, the bond that you, um, have with some of your coworkers is, you know, unbreakable and right thicker than blood sometimes yeah yeah you know and you know some of the things that you see and that you witness and that you do together you know brings you closer and you know i i'm grateful for my time in law enforcement i i do miss the people but you know i'm i'm very grateful for the things that i do today you know a little Mm -hmm. fast forward from there you know i um i left law enforcement about five six years ago um and i started my first business um kind of by default my whole the plan was that I was going to leave the agency that I was working for and take some time off for some personal things that I had going on, and I would try to go work for a different law enforcement agency, maybe a, a you know a, a sheriff or you know a city or something along the lines of that. And so I started my first business, you know, by default, and it was a uh, started out as a sober living home. You know, we what we just wanted to help people that were newly sober from from alcoholism and drug addiction, uh, provide them um, a structured living, you know, in in a in in my opinion, in a category at that time that was doing a lot of unethical things. And, you know, businesses and people were calling sober living homes, you know, a place for people, a refuge to get sober and a clean environment. But in, in reality, there were we were being called flop houses and there was a lot of unethical things going on. So my business partner and I, you know, had this peanut idea sitting on a couch in Costa Mesa in 2015. And we started our first sober living home and um, with, with six beds. And uh, today, you know, fast forward, you know, we are a full on drug and alcohol treatment center. We're a healthcare provider. We're a licensed facility. You know, we're joint commission accredited. Uh, we have eight locations, over 55 beds, and um, we help a lot of people in the community. I'm very grateful for that, you know, but we've come a long way. we got a long way to go, but, you know, from where we came from, you know, $800 and a dream, you know, to where we are today is, is, is very miraculous, you know, and 
So I'm, I'm grateful for that. I, I own several different other entities. I own about, you know, seven or eight different businesses. That business I just told you about is kind of my main business, but I also, I own a franchise gyms. Um, we, it's a private training facility called self-made training facility. We have them all over the country. I'm a franchise owner in Orange County, California. Um, I own an e-commerce online business for women's fitness, um, a nonprofit organization, children, sheepdogs. We raise uh, college funds for children of men and women who have died in law enforcement, mm-hmm. a little bit of real estate and um, a few other things, you know, but that's, that sums it up. <laughs> yeah, that's great. That's great. You're actually, I don't know if you're the first person I've had on that was in uh, the correction side of thing, but you're, you're definitely one of the few, definitely not uh, where I usually go. And I, I, I'm glad for that. There's definitely a different um, perspective, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. For people on the road and, and highways, as opposed to the, the prison system or jail system, it's just, Something I can never do, you know. I, I've watched videos <laughs> and and I've seen all the different things that go on with the in the jails and the prisons, and I'm like, nope, that's never for me. The worst I did was prisoner transport, and that was that mm-hmm. was enough. That was even it's, too much. It's really funny that you say that because, you know, even when I was when I was working, and even now, so you know, I have a lot of friends in law enforcement. We we do a lot of stuff with different agencies, and they always tell me they're like, man, I don't know how the fuck you you guys do what you do because, <laughs> you know, you, I would never want to be with all those people, all, all the concentrated, you know, population of criminals with, um, essentially your, your depend, your, your life depends on if that gunner is going to shoot kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. Sideways, you know? Yeah. I, uh, uh, (laughs) it's like the worst summer camp you ever want to be part of. Yeah. 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 But you know, it's, you know, if, uh, if you don't have guts when you start it, you got them when you're, when you're, when you're leaving, you know, and it's been, uh, it was a great, a great career. I, I, like I said, I, I saw a lot, did a lot, you know, but um, it'll definitely, you know, separates the men from the boys. Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I had a, uh, in high school, one of my history teachers, she was probably five foot two. Uh, I wouldn't say she was scrawny, but she was on the smaller side and uh, she would tell us a story. She was my uh, psychology teacher too, when I was in high school. And um she would tell us a story that she used to work in, in the jail system before she was a teacher. I think that's how she paid her way through school or something. And um, she was ta- she would be assigned to the uh, male wings in the, in the jails or prison, mm-hmm. whatever she worked at, which again, five, two small, like that doesn't sound like a good time at all. Yeah. And she would tell us the horror stories of like, if there was a, a power outage or something like that, or if the gates weren't working properly and, there were a few times where she was, you know, in fear of whatever was about to happen. Mm-hmm. Obviously she handled herself accordingly, but I just couldn't even imagine even, even as mm-hmm. a decently sized male being mm-hmm. in that uh, yeah. s- scenario, it's different when you're on the street and you're playing catch and release and, you know, whatever, like going out there, find them, but to be in a confined space with a mm-hmm. bunch of bad people, you know, it's kind of like on the street, they're kind of disseminated through the general population. But, mm-hmm. but when they're con- concentrated in that one yeah. spot, that's a, that's an unnerving feeling for sure. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's a, it's a, it's a feeling that is very hard to describe, but you know, I, I worked on predominantly on a, on a level four maximum security that, you know, California is divided into four levels, right? One being minimum four being maximum. So I did pretty much my entire career on a level four yard. And, um, you know, 
every every incident was involved a weapon you know mm-hmm. every incident was attempted murder or great bodily injury or or something you know and so um you know it was uh it was a very violent place you know mm-hmm. and um you know you just you just kind of learn to adapt yeah you know? yeah and and you know you see what you see and you leave it there you know yeah and that's good that's good that you can um i you know the things that i've heard from different uh, corrections people that I've even been friends with, the things they've seen and experienced, I'm like, I, I, I just couldn't, I couldn't imagine. Um, mm-hmm. So how long again did you do that? About eight and a half years, yeah. Eight from, and a half from, years, yeah. okay. And then um, you said that you had to leave uh, to work on some personal things that you had going on. What, what was going on? So um, I, you know, as a youngster, I, I really like to party. I really like to, to drink um, and I don't, I couldn't, I couldn't tell you when I crossed into the threshold from, you know, a normal drinker or a, a party type drinker to an alcoholic, mm-hmm. but, you know, I became an alcoholic, you know, um, you know, at 20, 27, 28 years old, um, you know, I, I was a full blown alcoholic and I, I tried to get sober for about three and a half years before I actually got sober. You know, I tried to go to 12 step programs, um, when I was a cop, I, I did take a leave of absence to, uh, to go to, to treatment, you know, shortly after I, I got back from attempting my first attempt to try and really get sober from a treatment center, you know, I got involved in a, in an internal affairs investigation with my lieutenant was, who was also a SWAT commander. Um, and, you know, it was, it was policy and procedure. It was, you know, kind of a bullshit case, but, um, nonetheless, it was, you know, um, you know, it was investigated and we were both subjects and um, he ended up um, taking the in lieu of, you know, because he had a lot of time in the department and he just thought to himself that, you know, he he really did fuck up and make a mistake. So he was just like, you know, I'll, I'll resign. And I was kind of involved in this investigation without knowing what had really happened. But as time progressed, you know, I was, I was with him when, when things happened. And so I was a subject of the investigation and it was a long drawn, you know, you, you, I'm sure you're aware, but you know, internal affairs has one year from discovery, right? So they, if, if the incident happens, they have 364 days to investigate it or serve you. Right. So that's pretty much what happened with this. So it, it, the whole thing ended up lasting about two years. Mm. I didn't do anything wrong. So I didn't take any deal. And um, we, I went, ended up going through a full-on administrative law hearing, um, through it with an ALJ, administrative law judge, and you know, I he ended up clearing me of, of all, you know, um, all allegations, um, and you know, founded that my involvement was was not was you know unwilling. I, I didn't I didn't know what was going on. Mm-hmm. Basically, the time that I had been off because of. Um, being on ATO was sufficient and I was going to, you know, go back to work, but some other things happened where I'm sure you're aware, but um, if, if, if you are under investigation and, you know, you win the case or the department wins the case, I either or can appeal that process. Right. So if I win, they can appeal. If they win, I can appeal. Right. Vice versa. And you and I both know that the state has much deeper pockets than, 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 a, than, a, than a beat cop, right? So, you know, when they decided that they wanted to, 
you know, go to the next level um, and appeal and all those types of things. I just, I was dealing with trying to get sober in my personal life, sure. but I was just like, you know what, I'm just going to, I'm just going to cut out. I'm going to, I'm going to focus on, you know, trying not to drink vodka at five o'clock in the morning. Right. Because I had been, you know, under investigation and suspended for that time period that my, my drinking progressed, you know, severely. And so I just wanted to focus on that. Right. Sure. You know? So, I mean, so really, I mean, that, that makes sense. Obviously those, uh, those investigations and then the appeal and everything else is just going to trigger more stress. And when choosing a bottle is your coping mechanism for that stress or, you know, a way to deaden the stress. I mean, is that, that basically what you were using it for at that point or how, you know, what, what was, what was your relationship with alcohol? I guess at that point, cause you said you were just kind of, you started out as a casual social drinker. And then it obviously mm -hmm. progressed to, to much worse. So what was what was the relationship like with that? So towards the end, it was terrible, right? Mm -hmm. um, towards the end, I was I was a slave to alcohol. Um, but you know, in the beginning, you know, I was you know as a I was a as a young teenager, I liked to party and things like that. And then you know when you're you know when I from work, you know, we would get together with, you know, other coworkers and, and drink after work or something along the lines of that or on the weekends. Right. But, um, I, I really like the, the effects produced by alcohol, whether things are good or bad in my life. So it just, it got, you know, alcoholism is a progressive disease. Right. And so for me, you know, they say it, it always gets worse, never better. Right. And so for me, you know, it got progressively worse and, and the situation and the circumstances that were going on in my life, um, amplified that right and so you know i i always thought that you know alcohol would help my problems go away except they in reality they never went anywhere they just stayed the same they stayed right? the and same if not added more problems yeah. that you had to deal with yeah so you know during that time um i was i was drinking a lot you know i was you know i, I you know i don't know if you know but you know when you're off of work you know you're is you know suspended or whatever have you you know you I'm just kind of waiting at the dole of your attorney and what's going on. Right. And so during that time, it, it just got, it got much worse for me to a point where, you know, after, after I got the news that, um, that I won the case, I was, I was, I was extremely grateful. And I was, you know, like, finally, I was like, Oh, you know, they finally saw the truth, you know, and all my coworkers and, and everybody knew that, you know, what was going on was, was bullshit, you know, and that I, um, I was getting the, pretty raw deal but you know i i never wanted to be a victim of circumstance but it was just the, a lot of these things were a lot of were out of my control you know and um when i got the news that i was going back to work i was super happy i was super grateful i remember i i, I even texted some of my old co-workers and partners and they were like oh man i'm so happy for you bro you know we knew you were always a solid dude and you know what was going on it was bullshit and i'm sorry that that happened but it, it's good that you know good things still happen to good people you know and um and then, you know, a week later, you get the thing where, you know, it's not what you think. Right. And, you're going, you're going back yeah. under the knife, basically. So, so when that happened, I, I started, I started drinking that, that day or that night. And it was somewhere along the lines of like February, it was like February 11th or February 10th. And I started drinking and that's basically all I remember. You know, I fast forward, you know, I, and, um, and during this time, you know, I, I couldn't quite really get honest with my family about, you know, if I was sober or if I was drinking, because keep in mind, I was, I had been trying to get sober and stay sober. And, you know, I was trying to go to a 12 step program to try and, 
you know, get, get sober and, you know, I, nothing was working because I couldn't get honest with myself, you know? And, uh, and then I just, but what they told me was that, you know, I basically, I'd been drinking, you know, for an entire day and um, I ended up calling my business, who's now my business partner and my best friend, but, you know, we grew up together and we ended up kind of getting sober together. You know, he, he ended up getting sober 90 days or four months before I did. So, you know, the day that all this happened, I, I guess I called him in like, you know, a blackout or something. And I was like, look, man, like um, I'd been drinking and I, I believe that it was one of the times that my family found out again that I was drinking, like here they are thinking that I'm sober. And then all of a sudden they walk into the house and they see bottles everywhere, like a scene out of the movie flight, you know? Mm -hmm. And, um, and they're like, Oh fuck, this guy's drunk again, you know? And, um, and I remember, I think I, I don't remember anything, but I called him and I was like, look, man, like my family knows that you need to come pick me up. I got to get the fuck out of here. Like, I, I just need a place to go for a couple of days. Um, you know, maybe I can come to your house kind of thing. And he was like, yeah, I'll come pick you up. And so, um, it took him a while to come get me, but I think when he came to get me, I was even more intoxicated. And, um, and so he was like, kind of like trying to get me from in my house to in his car kind of thing. So he could drive me to Costa Mesa and I could stay at his house. Right. And so I guess what happened was I was, I was so, I was, I was in a complete blackout that he, um, he just put me in his car and, and we drove to Costa Mesa and then, um, I passed out in the car, right. I would fell asleep in his car. And so he, in his thinking, you know, and all this that I'm telling you was told to me after that. I don't remember mm -hmm. any of this, right. He's like, Hey, I'm, he, he's like, he's like, okay, this guy's drunk in my car. I might as well just leave him here. When he wakes up, he'll come in the house. Right. So what had happened was I fell asleep in his car. He left the window like cracked or down or whatever. And I went to sleep. And then when I woke up, I tried to get out of the car, but I was so drunk that my, my blood alcohol level was so high that when I got out of his car, I just, I couldn't walk. Right. So mm -hmm. I, I guess I kind of just fell out of the car and like, I hit my head on the concrete, but I hit my head on like, it's like dead weight. Right. So I just, I knocked myself out. Mm -hmm. Right. And so that somebody comes out and they like basically call, go up to the front door and tell them what's going on. And they, they, when they, they call the they they call the paramedics thinking it's a head injury, right? But in reality, when they get there, my my heart is failing because my blood alcohol level is so high, right? Oh, wow. So so the paramedics show up and they start doing CPR on me because you know my blood alcohol, you know, when your blood alcohol level's that high, your heart just fails, right? And so essentially they they're coming for a head injury, but you know, this is what's going on. So they take me to a trauma unit and I guess there my, my, my heart just, they, they can't get a, you know, a pulse on me. So then I, you know, long story short, I end up in, in the critical care unit, um, you know, from a blood alcohol level of, you know, through the roof and, um, you know, like a 0.54. And, wow. um, and so, and they, you know, essentially they, they brought me back. Right. And so I spent the next four days, in a critical care unit um, in what in, in Orange County, California, and they kept me and for, for, for there for four days because once that type of shit happens to your body and your heart, it's hard to get a, a normal pulse and a rhythm and a blood pressure, right? So they they kept me there longer so that they can regulate my blood pressure, and so I stayed there and then I got out, you know. And so by this time, you know, my whole you know they had called my family and they were like look like this guy's on his way out we don't even know if he's going to make it but if he does pass away you may guys might want to come see him 
you know, my family was just like, you know, we can't do this with him anymore. Like, just, you know, let us know if he makes it or he doesn't, you know? Mm. And so, um, you know, I didn't, they didn't come or anything like that. And so I, I, uh, but, you know, keep in mind, like I had said, you know, I was going to a 12 step program for the last two and a half, three years, right? Like trying to get sober. So I, I clearly met some people, I built some relationships, you know, people, they didn't know much about me, but they knew enough, you know? And so, um, those are the people that came to the, to the hospital room when I was, you know, when I was, when I was fucked up and, you know, they came and saw me and, you know, they, they told me it was going to be okay. And that, you know, that, you know, if I wanted to, to get sober, I still could, you know? And, um, so when I got out of there, you know, I, that one of some of those people came and picked me up and they took me out of there. And then I stayed with them for a couple of days. And what, what helped, what I got, when I got, what I got sober, that you would think that, you know, that would be the time where you would probably stop drinking and get sober. But, you know, after three or four days, you know, I started feeling a little bit better and I found myself drinking again mm. after that, you know, and I thought to myself, you know, fuck, I, here I am. I just accidentally drank myself to death, you know, alcohol poisoning, whatever you want to call it. I just spent the last four fucking days in a critical care unit and, um, and I, lo and behold, I have a bottle of vodka in my hand again, mm-hmm. you know? And um, so I was just like, you know, at that jumping off point where, you know, I didn't know how to live. I didn't know how to die, but I, I just wanted to get sober, you know? Mm-hmm. So, yeah. So that, mm-hmm. I mean, so was that the, when you realized, you know, <clears throat> I just survived, but now I'm back to it. That was, was that your, your rock bottom? That's like your head. Yeah, so, so, so that was when, so like I had said, you know, I, I, I had died on the, on the, on the, on the 10th or the, the, the night of the 10th to the 11th, right. Is when I was in the hospital and I, my, my sobriety day is February 17th, 2015. So you can imagine there's a couple of days in there Four of those days I was in the hospital and a couple of those days, one of those days I was drinking. And then the 16th was my last drink. And, uh, so the 17th, which was the next day, was my sobriety day. So I okay. went to a new, I got, so, I got sober in Newport Beach, California. Um, you know, I had, my, my mom, you know, had just retired, but she had owned and operated and ran, you know, a multi, multi-million dollar drug and alcohol treatment center. So she knew all about it, right? But her hopeless son couldn't fucking get sober. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, so she, she helped me. And um, yeah, I called her and I asked her if she would, you know, if she would, if she has some resources where I could, you know, try and try it again. Right. And, um, so she did and she took me and, you know, I got there and by this time, you know, my alcoholism is so far along that when I start drinking, I, I kind of need to keep drinking to physically feel okay. So right, sure. I had alcohol in my system again. So when I got to, um, the treatment center and my, I started to not drink anymore. I had my, I had a seizure. So they had to send me to Ho- Hogue hospital and get me stabilized. And I went there for another day and then I came back to treatment. Gotcha. And then you stayed in the treatment and, and yeah, for 90 days. Yeah. Okay. So, um, I want to, I want to go back to something you said before, and then we'll kind of pick everything apart. The words you said were, you were a slave to alcohol. And I feel like a lot of people don't understand addiction. I feel like that's like a big problem with the stigma is that they don't understand it. You know, um, that, whether they are experiencing it or they have a loved one experiencing it, I I don't think they understand. Can you give, and especially, you know, now that you have your own sober living houses and, and, and treatment facilities, explain addiction 
and how, you know, people like yourself, you tried for several years to, to get and stay sober, but mm-hmm. it's not, you know, it's not that easy. Can you kind of explain how that feels from the, this, the, the addiction itself and then the, the, the wanting to get out of it, but kind of being stuck to it at the same time? Well, I, I, I wouldn't. So I tell people all the time, you know, your story doesn't have to be my story. You know, I would probably, I could probably tell you that I'm, I'm probably what you consider uh, closer to a low bottom, severe alcoholic. Um, Most people, most, some people can be alcoholic and, and not nearly be as bad as I was. And that's okay. Right. Your story doesn't have to be my story, but, um, for me, when I say, you know, a slave to alcohol or, you know, severe alcoholism is, you know, drinking um, basically to function, you know, um, when, you know, when you, when you, when you drink for a period of time where you drink so much or you drink so, so regularly that, you know, your body physically gets dependent on it. So a lot of people don't know this. I know this now because I'm a healthcare provider and I own a drug and alcohol treatment center, but, you know, the two things that a person can die from withdrawal from is alcohol and benzos, right? So if you're on a, you know, the, a, a, you know, a pill that the pills that they have benzos in them, that's a crazy detox and you can physically die from it if you're not tapered on medication. Well, alcohol is the same way. And so for me, it was like the physical, the physical was, was very difficult for me. Um, once I started drinking, uh, my body was dependent upon alcohol, the mornings, you know, when I, if I would drink the night before, um, the mornings I would, you know, I would need alcohol to feel better. I would shake, I would have DTs, you know, I, I couldn't brush my teeth without vomiting, you know, even if I was like really on a sick one, I, I was like from a real bad night of drinking, you know, I would have to drink in the morning to feel better. Um, you know, that's pretty much what I mean by a slave to alcohol, you know, and, and once, once I start drinking, I, I, I don't know how to stop. Right. Um, you know, in a 12 step program, there's a, there's a book and it talks about, you know, alcoholism is, you know, session of the mind and the allergy of the body. Right. And you, once you, once you have one, you know, you just can't, you just can't turn it off until, you know, you're, you're, you're drunk to oblivion and you pass out or, or you're, you're stopped, you know, by something or someone. Right. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. So, um, yeah, it, it, that definitely makes sense. Um, so when we talk about this is this is a common problem in law enforcement. You know, we have um, people need ways to cope with stress, and and there's a lot of different ways that we do it. And alcohol is legal, you know, so it's pretty common for when you get off a bad shift or whatever, uh, people will go, they'll pour themselves a drink or, you know, after a bad week, they'll go out, they'll hit the bar with the, with the squad or whatever. Where is that line between, you know, casual, social, healthy drinking and that alcoholism. And you said that alcoholism kind of has like a spectrum of, you know, minor to severe or whichever. So mm-hmm. where is that line? And, and, you know, what are some signs that people need to be aware of that it might be more than just a casual drink or something like that? I was funny cause I, I was on a podcast last week where someone asked me a similar question. And I, and I think that, um, you know, I, I think that most normal people don't ask themselves if they have a drinking problem or if they think they're an alcoholic. Um, most normal drinkers don't have negative consequences 
from drinking, right? Um, most normal drinkers don't have people tell them that they may have a drinking problem. Um, most normal drinkers, you know, they don't have a, a ton of guilt and remorse the next day after they drink. Um, you know, so I, you know, you're, you're an alcoholic or you're, you have a drinking problem if you, if you feel like you, you, you have one, right? That's basically where you can start at. But I think that a good way to figure out if you're an alcoholic is to try and control, to try, to try some controlled drinking, you know, see if you can have controlled drinking and, you know, are you having negative consequences from your drinking? You know, um, do you have the ability to stop once you start, you know, things like that. A lot of people, you know, they get drunk and they get a DUI and they think that they're an alcoholic. Maybe they are an alcoholic. Maybe they're not. Most people don't drink and drive and get DUIs, right? You know, chances are that, you know, if when you drink, you drink in, ac- in excess and you, you know, and you like the effects produced by alcohol, then you might be an alcoholic, you know. But there also is a 12-step program and there is a book. And in the book, there's a, there's a chapter called The Doctor's Opinion. And in that you know, you can read that. And there's, there's a lot of identifying factors in that, that can tell you if you're an alcoholic or not, or that can help you with enough critical thinking to help you decide or understand if you think you may be an alcoholic, right? Okay. Okay. So now we were talking before we press record, talking about the kind of, obviously there's a, there's a mental health and suicide issue amongst law enforcement and first responders. And, and you said basically that alcoholism or, or just the, the presence of alcohol uh, is kind of a mitigating factor in all those things. How, how so? I feel like it, you know, it, it, it can be, you know, alcohol or substance, substance problems. Right. Um, we, you and I both know that, and everybody knows that there's a huge suicide rate in law enforcement, right? There's, you know, mental, it's, that stems from a mental health issue. Sometimes, mo- in most cases, those can also stem from a substance abuse pro- uh, problem, right? If, you know, one of the biggest uh, stigmas in, in law enforcement is that, you know, if, if, if you think you have a problem or a drinking problem, you know, the last thing you want to do is, is tell on yourself and say that you have a problem because you think you'll lose your peace officer status. You think that they'll put you on a leave of absence, take away your, your peace officer powers, or, you know, the fact that you can carry a weapon and then, you know, you can't work when in reality, you know, if you have a drinking problem or a substance abuse problem, you can go to your department and tell them that you have a problem and legally you can't get fired or reprimanded for it. If you're honest about it. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, because people want you to get help, you know, uh, people want you to, you know, if you have a problem with something, they, they, you know, there's a lot of resources, right? And I know that coming from, from even from myself, you know, most people don't want to tell on themselves, most people don't want to, to open up that can of worms, right? But in reality, you know, most people don't get to see and do the things that people see in law enforcement on a daily basis. And it has for for somebody to to be a, a casual drinker or um, a weekend drinker or something you know to witness and see all, all the things that that people that we that we see in law enforcement on a daily basis to progressively start to drink more to maybe make those things go away or to feel better um, is very isn't isn't something out of the ordinary right people people do do that already and I think that 
it can become you can you can cross that threshold from a normal drinker to an alcoholic as a way of coping with what you have going on. And then and then you add in the public perception. Right. And then you add in the fact that everybody hates cops and that you can't even do your fucking job without losing it or being sued civilly. Right. Mm. So you take all these different things and it's it's an escape route for for people. Right. That gets progressively worse and then depression can kick in. And next thing you know, being involved in a critical incident and then drinking to help yourself feel better from that critical incident. And then you feel, you know, you isolate because most people don't go through those types of things. And how can you talk to your loved one or, you know, really the only person you can talk to is like another, another cop that's been through that. Right. Well, anyone that's going to carry any depth and weight, right. To understand how you feel. And next thing you know, you know, you have a severe drinking problem or an addiction. And then all of a sudden mental health issues kick in and depression and all those types of things. And, and, you know, terrible things can happen. Sure. Absolutely. You know, we, we kind of forget that alcohol is a depressant. So, Mm -hmm. you know, when you're having those bad times, you know, and, and you're thinking that, Oh, it'll, you know, take the edge off. It'll calm me down, whatever it might be. I mean, it may, but Mm -hmm. the, the negatives that could come from it are, they're always looming. There's always a possibility that, you know, it's going to amplify those negative thoughts that you are already feeling. Yeah. I yeah. Feel, no, for sure. Yeah. No, I feel like, you know, I've, I've um, been experienced or kind of uh, been in, I don't want to say involved, but uh, quite a few law enforcement suicides and mm-hmm. <clears throat> there's been a path. There's been a, a, um, a pattern mm-hmm. where, uh, not always, not in every case, but in, in, in many of the cases, there is something happens, a bad situation. Mm-hmm. Then it's followed by, um, and the person's drinking to kind of deal with that mm-hmm. bad situation. Then you have um, maybe some kind of uh, trouble mm-hmm. within the department. Maybe they get yep. um, in an IA, like you're saying, mm-hmm. or something to do with that. And then uh, personal struggles start going on all along, right? As, as you're dealing with this timeline, Alcohol is present. Exactly. Mm -hmm. So you do all these things and now everything's mounting. And then before you know it, you get the terrible news that so-and-so took his own life Mm -hmm. and he was drinking or she was drinking when it happened. There was a bottle found with her or their blood alcohol toxicology report. Exactly. So it's, it's a terrible trend and you, you start, Mm -hmm. start thinking about it. It's not a common, uh, it's not common. It's not a normal decision, obviously to take your own life. So Mm -hmm. to be under the influence, you know, a lot of people seem to take to do do one to kind of cope with the decision that they're making. And, you know, how long across that path was, you know, was alcohol playing a factor within that? Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. I I, I agree with you. And and I think that that's why I feel like if if people can get honest about the fact that they may have a problem with drinking or using um, it, we, it may not ever get to the, to the fact of, you know, them wanting to take their own lives or, or go into deep, deeper depression. Right. Sure. You know, one of, one of, one of our goal, one of my personal goals is to, um, you know, we, we've helped a lot of first responders already. You know, we, we really have, um, 
but one of the things that I'm working on is, you know, I'm, I'm creating a, a location that is strictly for law enforcement only, first responders only, um, so that people have a place where they can come to and they don't have to worry about any other type of people being there besides law, um, first responders, you know, so that we can really, you know, make a bigger impact on, on trying to trying to help people. Right. But I think the, the biggest thing is that, you know, if people people understand that there's a solution to their problem, you know, and they have a little bit of willingness to to, you know, get honest about what's going on. It doesn't have to get because the alcoholism is a progressive disease. Right. Mm-hmm. So it's going to get worse. You know, if you're alcoholic, I think that if if we can just kind of uh, help people understand that, you know, they're not alone and that there's people that have been through it just like myself, you know, that can help them. You know, we, we may be able to make an impact on, on some people and, and help people. And, you know, well, we will be able to save some fucking lives out of it, too. Yeah, for sure. definitely. I think, you know, just like mental health and law enforcement, um, the stigma of alcoholism or substance abuse problems is mm-hmm. so big. You know, like that, that that is such like that's the elephant in the room that no one wants to talk about. Sometimes I would even say more so than mental health is that no one mm-hmm. wants to talk that they have a drinking or, or narcotics problem. And then you get those, those problems. So to have people that have been through it and part of the job mm-hmm. uh, is so important. And and something you said earlier that I, I, I was thinking about, I had an idea um, when you come clean with saying to your administration, Hey, I've got this problem. And you said that nobody, you know, they can't fire you over that. The, where people get fired over it is where that problem leaks into their job, whether they mm-hmm. show up to work drunk, whether they're drunk driving and, you know, either domestic on or off violence. Or exactly. So I think it's so important. What you said was so important that you're not going to get fired for saying you have a problem and want help. You're going to get fired for not saying anything and it progressively getting significantly worse you're going to get in trouble for the for the collateral damage that you create from drinking yes. you know um whether it's a dui whether it's you know um you know a domestic violence you know with with your partner um that's something that's just escalated because of alcoholism right okay. like you came home drunk or you came or something happened where that argument or that fight wouldn't have even came about if, if alcohol wasn't or something wasn't in in this in the picture right um, you know, and that these are just common things that I think that we kind of know in, in law enforcement, but, you know, and, and then, then, then there's also, you know, a lot, you know, the public perception and, and, you know, the crime is up so much and, you know, people are, you know, committing crimes and having no negative consequences for it. You know, the critical incidents are going up for cops, you know, they're having to do things that they normally wouldn't have to do. They're seeing things that they normally wouldn't have to see. They're they're using their own coping skills, right, to deal with that, whether it's drinking or something along the lines of that, right? So then there's that whole other factor, right? So I think that, you know, I, I think that the biggest the biggest thing is 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 just letting people know that, you know, that there there is a solution. And and you know, if you if you feel like you have a problem, you know, we can help you. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. that people can help you, you know. Sure. And, and it doesn't have to be like that because the rates just keep getting worse. I mean, unfortunately, you know, cop, there's a lot of, you know, in the line of duty deaths, right? But there's also a lot of suicide. There's a ton of suicide right. in, the, in the incorrections, a ton. Yeah, the uh, the rates are 
from the last time I checked, the rates are higher for suicide than line of duty death. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you talk about the trend going up. So mm-hmm. it, it's just getting worse for, for um, officer invo- involved suicides as well as uh, line of duty deaths. Um, and I was thinking about it, you know, the, obviously the stress I think plays probably the biggest mitigating factor, but we talk about narcotics and um, a lot of law enforcement officers, you, you think about narcotics and, and, a, and a police officer or any kind of law enforcement officer using, and it doesn't really, you know, there's so many drug tests and checks and balances and stuff. But if you think about it this way, you know, you get injured in the line of duty, you're on light duty, yep. and then you start, you get prescribed painkillers yep. to deal with whatever. And then that suddenly becomes a constant thing because you're going to get stuck with this chronic pain. And before you know it, those, you know, Percocets or whatever that you get prescribed, they're not cutting it. And it's just going to mm-hmm. get pres- consistently worse and worse and then you're in a really bad situation yeah that that's i'm glad you touched on that because that's that's very prominent too i um i actually i i don't know him personally anymore i i i came across him a few years ago but i knew a guy that was in law enforcement and he basically got hurt taking a guy down in the jails right and um you know started out as a as a real bad injury you know was prescribed an opiate based uh painkiller you know it just got worse and worse and worse he's full-blown opiate addict at this point right um then you know the thinking and the you know the behavior of an addict come into place right and next thing you know you know he's you know suspended and um you know the guy has a full-on opiate addiction and he's shooting heroin you know and he's no longer in law enforcement right but um that's I, that happens, you know, to people, and, and it just starts out as a as an injury that gets worse, and then they put you on pills. And oxy's are the worst, you know. People that are on those, it's a it, you know, it's a problem that is getting worse and worse and worse, you know. And people are resorting to, you know, other forms of opiates, fentanyl, all kinds of stuff, you know. And yeah. and you know, that's a whole nother ball game, you know. That that you know, we can people can can have a problem from that they didn't have a problem before, you know, mm-hmm. and you know, we, 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 you can get help for that too. Yeah. You know, the- I, you know, it's, uh, there's, there's two different things I want to say with that. The first one is, uh, when I was working the road that we had a, we had an off duty detail where, um, it was at a methadone clinic, you know, where, mm-hmm. where people were trying to get clean or whatever. And, um, there were some people there that, they didn't look like addicts. It was, it was crazy that, you know what I mean? Like, and uh, talking to them, they go, Oh, you know, I soccer mom never touched mm-hmm. a, a drink, you know, and she got in a car accident and she was prescribed oxys or whatever. Yep. And she got hooked on them. And then it just got progressively uh, worse, her addiction and, and it spiraled out or a truck driver, or whatever we in law enforcement, just the job itself and the uniform and the gear and everything opens us up to chronic pain anyway. Mm-hmm. And, yep you know, you, you start going. And I think, you know, um, the, the pill industry has kind of gotten restricted, obviously, because a few years ago, everybody, you know, there were pill farms and everything like that, but then it gets to the point that's where you start looking for the illicit substances and, you know, Mm -hmm. who better to know where to find them than a cop. And and it just kind of gets, you know, you get stuck in that rabbit hole and it's, it's Mm -hmm. a very scary concept um but also a very plausible and probable like you can see where that's gonna go Uh and and that kind of brings me into the other scary concept is alcohol pain pills um they're all legal and that's Mm -hmm. the part that's scary is that you know i think cops go to alcohol 
because it is a legal option. Yes. Even though it's, you know, not a safe option, it's a legal option. It's readily accessible. There's, you know, there's, uh, there's, so many different versions now where they make, you know, alcohol look more fun and more attainable with like seltzers and, and things like that. And so like, you know, you, you get a, a couple cases of white claw or Trulies or, you know, just what you're starting at. Yeah. And you're like, Oh, that's no big deal. Like I'm just having a few, you know, this is fun, whatever. And before you know it, like you said, you're, you're, you're hooked to the bottle at five o'clock mm-hmm. in the morning. And, you know, again, it was legal. It is legal. And that's, I think, where cops get so stuck in the vacuum. Yeah, and I, and then you know, and then you you take all those contributing factors, and then you then then you throw ego and pride in there, you know, mm-hmm. and then you put, you know, you don't want, you know, cop, cops, you know, we don't or cops don't ever want to get categorized as yep. as um, you know addicts, you know, because they feel like, you know, they're in public safety, you know, they're trying to make the world a better place, and they are, but you know, that comes with price too, you know, and, and I think that, you know, another reason that, that people don't want to admit that they have a problem is because they don't want to get put into a category, you know, by, um, by default, because that they have a problem, you know, and, um, and I think that it's, it's just gonna, it's just gonna get worse, unless, you know, there's some type of an awareness about it. And, you know, we're actively telling people that if they have a problem that, that they can get help, you know, mm-hmm. and, 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 and people, it's going to have a trickle effect, you know, where it's going to, it's going to be positive. If people start to get sober that have a problem. You yes, know? absolutely. Um, I, I, the, the fact that you said the ego thing, like that, that was, that was such a great point. Cops do not like to be a statistic cops, mm-hmm. you know, we are, you know, when you start thinking of people who are, who have mm-hmm. addictions, um, it's, it is an ego thing, you know, like mm-hmm. I'm a cop, I'm not, I'm not an addict. I arrest addicts, mm-hmm. you know, addicts are the yeah. ones that break into your car. So they're, you know, I don't have a drinking problem. I'm just a cop that drinks, you know, like that's, that's mm-hmm. the mindset. And before you know it, you know, like you said, you start behaving like an addict, start lying and, and stealing and doing the mm-hmm. things that kind of go with it. So the fact that you said that was absolutely amazing and it, it, it all, you know, the stigma and the ego, those things need to break away. Yeah. Yeah, you cannot, you cannot help, you cannot, you cannot get sober and and have a fucking, uh, an insane ego and pride at the same time. Like, there has to be a level of humility that, that, you know, with, you know, being, being able to get honest, you know, which I think everybody has, Mm -hmm. you know, I mean, you know, when, when you see the things that you do, when you do the things that you do, and and the, and, and the public puts you in a place that, you know, you have to put on, you know, a game face every single day, and you have to look in the mirror and not be sure if this is the last day you go home or not. You know, you you have to do it with a sense of, of pride and you you will get an ego out of it, you know. Yeah. And um, and I'm not saying that that's everybody. I'm not categorizing anybody. You're just, you know, I just know that before I got sober and when I was in law enforcement, I had a fucking crazy ego, mm-hmm. you know, and and I was a very prideful person. And um, and, you know, and. And I'm like I said, I'm 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 not saying that other cop that most cops are or all cops are, but when you take all those contributing factors, it can it can be even harder, right? Yeah, sure. I think that goes with just the the alpha mindset that so many law yeah. enforcement mm-hmm. officers have. Um, you know, that and that's kind of a contributing factor. And I, I feel like there are different ways that we can change the culture. Mm-hmm. You know, it's gonna be it's a it's a it's a broad thing, but we you know 
the the change can start from one person listening. And I feel like we can change the culture if we stop normalizing alcohol abuse. First off, mm-hmm. you know, like if if you're gonna go out to the squad with a squad, you know, and I, the the first thing everyone suggests is, oh, let's go to the bar, let's do this. Mm-hmm. And I I feel like that's not that that's the normal understanding. And, you know, my dad was a cop in the, in the eighties and nineties and whatever. And that was the, back then I've got a book on my bookshelf, the choir boys from the 1970s when the LAPD, that was their big deal. And they would go mm-hmm. and they drink crazy and do crazy things. Um, we need to ch- first, first and foremost, just change that as like the norm, you know, mm-hmm. um, I go back to my old agency or, or old jurisdiction and I see my old buddies and we, we would go to the bar, you know, and it got to the point where we would go out and, um, every night that we would go out there, there was some sort of drama. Someone was getting in a fight. Someone okay. was this. And I was like, you know what? The last time I went, I was like, I'm not going to the bar. Just mm-hmm. no, let's, let's, we, we ended up going and playing golf, you know, like we, we yeah. did something else where we could bond and just hang out and, and relax. Yeah. yeah. And it's, and I feel like if, if more people in the, in this profession, in this career can make that decision, you know, alternate ideas, uh, that's a great start. You know what I mean? Cause you're, you're less excess or, uh, less, um, mm-hmm. exposed to that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. And I think that that boils down to, you know, can, can you still have fun if you're sober? Right. Kind of thing. Um, you know, but I, I think that, you know, the, the biggest thing is that, you know, if you do have an alcohol problem or you are an alcoholic, you know, the only thing that's going to work is going to be abstinence, complete abstinence from alcohol is, is, is how you're, how things are going to get better. You know, if you're an alcoholic, you can't just normally drink. Right. Um, and, and I think that the biggest thing is, is, you know, getting on and off the wagon, right. People swear off and, you know, you're talking to a guy that, that swore off for three years, you know, um, oh, it's going to be different this time, or I'm just not going to do this, or I'm just, I'm just going to strict to beer, or, you know, I'm just not going to drink that much, or, you know, I'm not going to hang out with that guy or whatever the case may be. Right. Um, but you'll find yourself no matter what, if, how you change your, your geographic or your demographic, wherever you are, you'll find there, it. There, you'll, you'll find the problem, right? Yeah, because yeah. wherever you go, there'll be the problem, right? Until you solve, you know, the actual issue that's going on. Right. Right. And that's kind of what so many doors for people, you know, you have no idea what your life is going to be like. If you feel like there's something that's pulling you down, like alcoholism or, you know, drug addiction, mostly it's most of the time it's alcoholism. Right. Right. Because that's more easily to come by. Um, Mm -hmm. But you're, you're absolutely right. You know, the, the, you, you have to focus on treating the symptoms to treat Mm -hmm. the disease. You know, mm-hmm. you can't just close your eyes and, and hope for magic. Or I, I liked how you said about like, you can't try to rationalize with yourself. Like, oh, I'm only going to do this. I'm only, mm-hmm. uh, you know, if you, if you want it, you're going to find it, you're going to get into it. And I think another thing is like, you know, I've, I've in the ones that I've experienced, mm-hmm. you know, we don't go out. Um, but then that person with the problem goes out after we do, they end up going to the bar. Like, you know what I mean? Like you personally have to make a decision. All right. We didn't go to the bar for this hangout session. So I'm just going to go straight home when we're done. I'm not going to stop by, you know, and that's where it personal accountability and and things like that. Yeah. I think that, you know, one of the things that I realized after getting sober is, you know, I think that, you know, if, um, if you're an alcoholic, right. Your mind is always conv- 
is always designed to convince you that how it's going to be different this time, you know, um, you know, it's um, that whole every everybody knows this insanity, right? Doing the same thing over and expecting a different result, right? Um, if you know you have a drinking problem, your mind is this. You're we're we're wired differently, you know, um, and you know you're you're going to rationalize and you're going to figure out all kinds of different ways to to convince yourself that things are going to be different. And then you're going to find yourself in those same problems again, you know? Right. You know, it, this conversation, um, you know, I talked about, you know, my buddies, I've lost buddies who have taken their lives and so on with an alcohol played a factor. Um, but you know, my, my, I grew up, my mother, she had a significant drinking, drinking problem. Mm-hmm. And the only thing that stopped her, um, was she broke her hip. She mm-hmm. fell over, you know, toys or whatever that were just happened to be there. And, when she was in the hospital following her situation, they couldn't get her off anesthesia. It was mm-hmm. like her liver was so corroded and the issues were so bad that uh, she almost didn't get out of the anesthesia and dealing with the the issues that came from that. And that was for my sister and I, the light bulb, like, all right, we mm-hmm. need to do everything we can. Cause my mom was, you know, she was about, 410 you know that's how tall mm-hmm. she was and she was spunky though she would not listen to it she would find a way mm-hmm. we would say hey mm-hmm. stop drinking she would find a way to get it yeah. um but at that point that was when all three well my entire family and, and my mom uh realized that this is this is enough you know and mm-hmm. she was she was sober um from that point for probably the next uh i don't know several years before she ended up passing away so i guess the important thing is to not get to that point, not get to the emergency. Like you said, like, you know, dying on the table and coming back or, you know, not almost waking up from anesthesia or mm-hmm. crashing your car and being in a bad thing is how do we recognize the signs that mm-hmm. it's time to do something about what we've got going on? I think negative consequences. That's I think definitely ne- negative consequences to start, <laughs> whether those are negative consequences or in, in your in your personal life, in your in your household, if you're having problems that stem from alcoholism um, or alcohol, right? If you're if if you if you drink and you have an issue, whether it's trauma, you get in a fight, you have a problem, you know, chances are that alcohol is a common denominator, right? Um, sure. You know, if you know if you're you know if you got a DUI, but you can honestly tell yourself that you probably drank and drove hundreds of times before you got that DUI. That was the one time you got caught. Yeah, you may you may have a problem, you know. But like I said earlier in the podcast, I think that, you know, if you feel like you have a problem, that's what's that's what what's what what matters most, right? Um, if you feel like you you might have a drinking problem, you know, try try to control your drinking. If you can't control your drinking, then you you may be once you start, you know, if you can't control it, you may be an alcoholic. You know, yeah. you don't have to, you don't have to be the low bottom, hopeless alcoholic that I was. Right. Or I am. Right. You know, you don't you don't have to have that bottom. You know, you don't. I know lots of people that are sober that drank a lot different than I did. I know a lot of cops. I know a lot of first responders that are sober that don't that didn't drink like I did, you know, and they have, you know, a long term sobriety, you know, and their lives are just fucking you know, much more purposeful and much more, you know, um, they further their careers, you know, some of them, you know, are off into many different ventures. You know, one thing about alcoholism or alcohol for me was 
I didn't even think I, I didn't I wasn't even operating at my full potential. I, I'm not operating at my full potential. No one really is. Right. That's what life is, is trying to figure out what your your true potential is and, and work work at that level. Right. But I think that when you're when you're drinking um, or you have a drug problem, you're you're not even getting close. You know, you have no idea what you can do with your life and, you know, how you can impact other people and, you know, live a purposeful life by, you know, leading by example, you know, but this is, this isn't for everybody, you know what I yeah. mean? There's, there's still going to be hopeless alcoholics and drug addicts that are just going to, that are going to die hopeless drug al- alcoholics and drug addicts, unfortunately. Right. Sure. We're here to help them if they want the help. Right. Um, and if you want the help, we'll always be here to help you. That's, that's what, that's what I tell them people in my company is, you know, as long as you want to be here and as long as you want the help, we're going to help you. Mm-hmm. If you don't want it, we're not going to help you because you're never going to get sober if you don't want to, you know? Right. For sure. Like it goes back to what you said that yeah. it has to be a personal decision to do mm-hmm. it. It can't be, you know, thrown upon you or, any, I, you know, I, I feel like, you know, the, the old school interventions and things like that, you know, that it's totally a different mindset. I think it needs to be, from the person afflicted mm-hmm. to make that. Well, you know, p- pain, pain is a great motivator. You know, um, some people don't, they, they need to, they need to go through some pain. I needed to go through some pain. I needed to get, I needed to lose everything. And I did, mm-hmm. you know, um, you know, I, I had to hit a bottom different than anybody else to get it. And that may be, that may have to be your story. Um, but it doesn't have to be, but it, you know, um, they say all the time that, you know, you can you can put the shovel down anytime you could quit digging your own hole, you know. Um, but, you know, unfortunately, alcoholism is a, you know, is a disease and it's a progressive disease, like I said. And, you know, it always gets worse, never better. And um, and I hope that, you know, people can get can get honest and, you know, we, we can help people because I really feel like we can shift the way that this is going. You know, and I think that people can have purposeful lives and um, continue to impact and help people, you know, um, as long as, you know, they get themselves right. Yeah, absolutely. And I feel like our conversation today, uh, I really hope someone might be listening and go, man, you know, I, I've been kind of ignorant to my own situation for too long. And this conversation was kind of that eye opener that, you know, maybe I do need to open up and talk to them and to somebody. And it's, I think it's great that, you know, your career in law enforcement ended, you know, and you still found a way to help people. Cause at the end of the day, mm-hmm. that's what we're here for. We're here to help people. Like yeah. you said, make the world a better place. And it may not be the world in the grand scheme, but you're going to make mm-hmm. that one person that walked through the door of your, of your establishment, their world's mm-hmm. going to be a better place because they went through, you know, what you provided for them. And yeah, I think that's, that's such an amazing thing that you're doing and uh and i i appreciate you know what you've done and what you've shared um definitely you know it, it's making a greater impact on society you know yeah you know one person one life at a time you know that's that's really all we we want to do you know we start starting your start with your community you know and um you know like i said if, if somebody if somebody wants help you know i want i i'll, I'll you know we'll, we'll never turn somebody away you know if they want it if they want the help we'll We'll figure it out. Um, you know, if you're listening to this podcast and some of these things may have made a little bit of sense to you, um, you know, and you you think you might have a problem or you know somebody that may have a problem and you feel like we can help them, you know, I, I hope that they will reach out to me or, or somebody and, you know, we can 
hopefully, you know, save somebody's life out of Absolutely. this thing. And Jamil, you know, you, you've got your hands in so many different cookie jars. Uh, the sobriety obviously is the is the biggest thing in helping other people. That's great. Um, if people do want to reach out to you uh, regarding this topic or maybe some some of the other ventures that you're in, where do they find you? How can they contact you? Yeah, they can they can reach me reach me on Instagram. Um, my my handle is Cop Turns Entrepreneur, um, and they can reach out to me there. Direct message me. Um, they can also go to our website. It's called shahidasplace.com. Um, we're a drug and alcohol treatment center based in Southern California. And, uh, you know, we, we take all kinds of insurances. We take, you know, we, we, ha- we can help anybody, right? Um, what, but like I had mentioned earlier, you know, we're not going to turn somebody away. If they really want the help and they don't have the resources, we'll figure out a way to help them. I've helped lots of people. And in the event that, you know, they're not from Southern California, they don't have the, the means to get out there, but they just want to talk to you about, you know, maybe mm-hmm. their own situation. Is your, are, are your inboxes open up so that way they can reach out? Yeah, to you? for sure. For sure. Yeah. They can reach out to me and, you know, um, I'll help them in, in any way that, that I can, you know, that's my purpose here is to try and help people. Every business venture that I'm involved in either brings value to people in some way, shape or form in that service or that product, you know, and, um, you know, that's, if I can make my mark here, you know, in this world, you know, by, by helping people, then, you know, I've, I've done my job. That's awesome. And it's a, it's a great thing. Like I said, you, you went from helping people in the, in the jails, the prisons, and now you're doing it in, in probably in, in my opinion, a more impactful way even. Um, so Jamil, thank you so much for your time. Thank you so much for this conversation. Everyone listening, if you need help, if you just want to talk, if you want to, you know, get some ideas out, hit Jamil up and he will get you in the right direction. And if you're in Southern California and you need some help, check out his, uh, yeah. his facility. Yeah. And if you're in law enforcement and in Southern California, everybody knows that all, all cops uh, train for free at my gym. So, um, you know, you can come by and get a workout at any time for free and maybe we could chop it up. There you go. All right, Jamil, this is great. Everyone listening, stay tuned. I'll be right back. And, uh, that's Check out that uh, that song, but the the full version. It's by you, me, and everyone we know. The song's called "Wash Out," and uh, no, it's not. It's called "Some Things Just Don't Wash Out." It should just be called "Wash Out." But anyway, it's about getting clean. It's a good one. Way way back, many years ago, before I was a cop, I uh, I promoted some shows in Central Florida, like rock shows, 
and uh, and I booked you, me, and everyone we know. And it was when he was solo. It was the band broke up. He was going back and playing out by himself. And it was a good show. Uh, sold a lot of tickets. It was cool. Uh, nice guy too. A lot of a lot of the pop punk guys. They're not nice. They get super like snotty about shit. Anyway, um, <clears throat> so go check out that song. It was a good song. Speaking of good things, the interview with Jamil, absolutely amazing. Just raw emotion, and uh, I really appreciate him sharing that story. I I always feel awkward asking people to share those kind of stories. You know, their 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 struggles, but it's so important to the healing process. And um, you know, I really hope that there's someone that was listening who. They know they drink too much and they felt alone. There's a stigma. I think the stigma for alcoholism or any kind of addiction and any kind of mental health necessities, depression, bipolar, anxiety, whatever, uh, they go hand in hand. There's there's a crazy stigma. You don't want to be labeled. You don't want to be categorized. But you're not alone. So if, if you need a category, category, that's the right way to pronounce it, uh, how about not alone? That's an idea. Um, and one last thing I wanted to talk about as far as like law enforcement is concerned with this episode is just the crazy dichotomy of working for the state and then having to defend yourself against the state because they have you on trial or they have you on the IA. Um, you know, I've heard about it a lot, especially, you know, go back a few episodes with Keelan Darby and talking about Ben Darby. Uh, earlier in the year, we had Matt Dagas. And it goes on and on. I've met people and people have reached out about they've been prosecuted by the same people that they bring cases to. It's just, it's wild. I I can't wrap my head around it, but unfortunately that's becoming all too constant and, and familiar. And it's one of the reasons why, you know, I got out, you know, it's just the world's weird. And that's a great segue because next week, uh, we've got something very special going on, talking about getting out. Coming up this weekend, I believe, I'm waiting for him to respond. I may say rechange that, but coming up this weekend, Poorly Made Police Memes is releasing, I think it's Sunday is when he releases his episodes on the weekend. And it's going to be part one to a two-part episode. Part two is going to be our regularly scheduled episode on Thursday. Um, it's going to be called Clowns Without a Circus. And then his episode, so this is going to be Episode 227 is called The Calm Voice in the Dark. And aw, he's, it's, it's reference to something that I bring up about dispatching. So, yeah, I think you should go check it out. Um, I think, it, like I said, it comes out on Sunday, part one. And I, I talk about me leaving the job. And then part two, we talk about him leaving the job. It's really good. Probably one of, one of my best episodes I think we put together. Total of four hours of content, uh, two hours for him, two hours for me. So you guys are going to enjoy it. If uh, you know, and since I got your attentions, if um, if you left your agency, if you left the job, and your life is better, I want to know about it. I like to really play a couple testimonials. Uh, so if you're interested, go ahead and uh, you know what? I'm gonna. R- I haven't done this in a while. I'm gonna run the uh, the jingle. Hold on. The Ten A Podcast is filmed in front of a live studio audience. Just kidding. But the 10A Podcast is made possible because of people like you taking about an hour of your week out and listening to me. And I love nothing more than hearing from you. So what I want you to do is call, because this is an audio podcast and text messages just don't work the same. Call the 10A Podcast and I will play your voice clip on my show. 
You can literally call about anything. It could be a question. It could be a complaint. It could be a grievance. It could be a gripe. It could be a bitch. It could be a moan. Don't be a moan. That would that would be weird. Um, but yes, I want you to call and I want to share it to the masses. So please give me a call. 352-610-1692. Again, that's 352-610-1692. Save that in your phone. It does not go to my phone. It goes to a voicemail and I will play your voice on my show. All right, let's get back into it. So, I mean, if I, I would like to hear people's perspective on leaving the job. You're going to hear mine. You're going to hear poorly made. And um, I, I just, I would like to kind of end the show with um, like a collage of people putting that together. Um, so there's that. Let me go ahead and tell you what else is coming down the way. I've kind of already released who's coming on the show and uh, in the, the final episodes. So next week is episode 40. We have five episodes left of the season. And then things are going to change. So let me go ahead and run down the list of what we've got left. So this week was Jamil. Next week is Poorly Made. Next, the week after that, uh, July 14th, is A Study in Stoicism. Got my buddy Bryce. He's called the Stoic Sentinel on Instagram. And go look him up. I've tagged him a couple times. Uh, episode three of the podcast was stoicism with the stoic cop from down here in Florida. Uh, this guy was inspired by the stoic cop by his book and he got into stoicism. So we're going to talk about stoicism. I haven't talked about stoicism. I mean, here and there, but not exclusively since episode three, episode one, three. So the, the third episode of the podcast, the first uh, interview I did was that one. Go check it out. Go buy Bill Morrow's book, the Stoic Cop, but 714 is going to be a study in Stoicism. 721 is going to be Black Cops, and with that we've got uh, Lamont Quarker, the Black Cop meme page, my buddy Eli, and my buddy uh, Pitts from uh, from the Indiana area. So that's going to be an amazing episode. Different perspective that I, I'm excited for. After that, we have the next installment of I Survived, where we have uh, a forensics detective sergeant who um, worked the Stoneman Douglas school shooting. You're going to want to check that one out. After that, August 4th is Heroed Out with my buddy Kyle. Uh, we're going to be talking some mental health stuff. And then episode 245, the last episode of the season, is going to be a three-part episode. It's Drunk Cops Summer Jam. Um, it's going to be uh, Drunk Cops in three parts. And uh, I'm going to kind of give that information out a little bit later down the way. Um, so that being said, guys, we got a lot going on. Please go check out the previous episodes. The last month or so has kind of been slaughtered as far as good listens. And I know it's busy with the summer and everything. You may not have had a chance to listen like you do during the colder months. And I get it. We had a similar dip last year. But if you have a chance, if you're hearing this one, go listen to the ones from uh, like the last month. Good stuff. You don't want to miss it. Um, rate, review, subscribe, share the episode. That's the most important thing. Check out the merch store. Uh, orders are going out. I'm super behind and I apologize, but we will get to it. Uh, the music today, we've got Jake Harlow. You, me, and everyone we know, and we're going to wrap it up with Off With Their Heads. Seek advice elsewhere. We'll see you next week, everybody. Take care of each other. Stay safe. 10-8, out.
Never gonna get any better than this. Any better than this. Never gonna get any better than this. Any better than this. Never gonna get any better than this. Any better than this. Never gonna get any better than this. Any better than this. Never gonna get any better than this. Any better than this. Never gonna get any better than this. Any better than